0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad each one of you are here, and I wanted to ask Pastor Frank one question. Um, Pastor Frank Jr., of course. In that last song we sang that has the "la la la"s in it, did you actually count the number of "la la la"s that were on the screen to make sure it was the right number? You didn't. Okay. <laughs> it's a great song, isn't it? I loved it. And um, welcome, everyone. And. Uh, Today, of course, if you look at the uh, announcement sheet out there, today is the second, not the fourth. And uh, I was asked to make that correction. And also, uh, we have to understand that these announcement sheets are out there so you can look through it and mark in your own calendar when certain things are going to be happening. And um, we're, we have a lot going on every month. And on the, the third Sunday of the month, we always have communion and also our church-covered dish dinner. And this year, we're going to have uh, Andy and Liz Yesenowski to share with us the miracle of how God saved their lives. Um, how how long ago now, Liz? October 21st. October 21st. Yeah. Okay. I heard someone talking over you back there. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's what husbands are supposed to do, right? <laughs> you know, I wanted to uh, take time to mention and to recognize uh, Ken Marcourt. And Ken Marcourt, I don't want to cry, Um, I've been his pastor, he and and his wife Dawns, I've been their pastor longer than anyone else that I know. I've been their pastor for over 35 years. And Ken, due to illness, has had to resign as treasurer of the church. And um, I just want everyone to recognize all the work that he's done over these many years. Because to be treasurer is a hard job anyway, but to be treasurer when I'm the pastor and have to fill out all these forms and stuff, it really takes a lot of patience. And but I just want to recognize Ken and Don and, and uh, you know just they're they're just precious people. When you think of them, pray for them, okay? And um, so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you for all that you've given us, primarily our salvation. The fact that we can know, know so, so we can know that we have eternal life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the willingness and the desire to share that good news with everyone we know, that everyone, you wish for none to perish but all to be saved. And so use us, Lord, as your ministers in this world. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and you would anoint and use me to bring forth your word to these, your precious people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Deuteronomy 28, and my portion this morning will be verses 47 through 57. And um, Moses, it's amazing to me because, of course, it's very prophetic. Moses is addressing the children of Israel about things that are going to happen after they've been in the promised land for almost 3,000 years before they even entered into the promised land. And so if you don't recognize that the Word of God is supernatural, things like this should open your eyes because only God can give this kind of prophecy. You know, there are all kinds of holy books out there. You know, Bhagavad the Quran, and all these other kinds of books, the writings of Confucius and so forth. None of them have prophecy in it. Do you want to know why? Because if you predict something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, then you would say that book is a fraud but the Word of God is, has prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. More than 300 in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, and every one of these prophecies have been fulfilled exactly as we're told in Scripture. Therefore, the prophecies that lie ahead of us, we can have just as much assurance on that they will be fulfilled completely. Now, In this particular portion, there are a lot of graphic details we'll be getting into. But one of the things I want you to know is I'm not going to give commentary on them. But the reality is that the things that we're reading about that are such great atrocities, we're seeing in the world today. We're seeing in our nation today. And so we have to understand that God loves us and he loves all people. He wishes for none to perish. You know what that means? God loves everybody. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But yet there are those who refuse to commit their life to Jesus Christ and to accept a free gift of salvation. And our prayer is that the Lord would move on people's hearts. Maybe there are some here that have never really been born again, that this would be the day of their salvation. And we also have to realize that... The atrocities that happened that we're going to be reading about occurred because the children of Israel at that time left their first love. Rather than worshiping the Lord their God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving their neighbors themselves, they started following after other gods like Moloch. And those false gods that they found themselves following after and worshiping actually required the sacrifice of children. And I won't get into any details of the statues of Moloch. I mean, there's so many things that are just unbelievably heart-wrenching when you read the history of Israel when they fell into all this kind of paganism. We find enough of it right here. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we're starting with verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of your heart for the abundance of everything. And so we have to understand that our faith should not be a burden to bear, but a gift to proclaim. I mean, it's a gift from God. Now, verse 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies, because they turn against God, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, nakedness, and need of everything. You see, outside of the Lord there is nothing. Do you understand that life is time? Life, this human life that we call it, is just time. You're born, and then there's a day you're going to die. For some, it's old age. For some, it's young. But life is time. And so we have to understand that time is continually passing away. You cannot, no matter what movies might tell you, you can't go back in time. Time continues. Time stops for no man is a euphemism that's been out there for years. So time is passing away. And so, it's so important for you and I to make our decision for Jesus Christ now, in the time we're living, because there will be a time that we no longer either are on this earth because of, because of death or the rapture of the church, which we'll talk about in more detail later. And then it goes on to say, and he will put a yoke, these are the enemies that are coming against you, of iron on your neck until, you are dest- until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation fierce, of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, and that's important to respect the elderly, you know, nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave uh, you grain, Uh, They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. Verse 52, they shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified, fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and, and desperate straits in which your, your enemy shall distress you. Because we're going to, to find that um, fleshly prosperity is very shallow. But the worship of the Lord is the only thing that matters and is very deep. And so if people are chasing after prosperity, they're going to be chasing after other gods, the god manna which actually was the name of a god, and it means money. Now, verse 54, this, and actually this portion here, I want you to understand, I believe Moses is being somewhat sarcastic about those who think they're so high and mighty and so refined and so wealthy, and you'll see what I mean as I read it. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile towards his brother, toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his his children whom he leaves behind so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he has nothing left. The thing we have to understand, if you don't have the Lord, you never have anything. In the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates, The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicate and and because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and daughter her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. That's quite a graphic portion of Scripture, and it's quite disturbing. But the thing we have to understand is any time a nation or a people turn from God, that is where a nation will head. And we have to understand as well that these are the consequences that even our nation will face because we have turned from God in such an amazing way just from the time that I was a young person. I mean, this nation is becoming more and more humanistic and more and more ungodly, turning from the Lord. And I believe that one of the biggest problems was the introduction of uh, um, evolution into the schools. And our school system has become more and more secular and pagan ever since then. I was reading uh, on, on Facebook. It was, You know, I have Facebook, and if I never respond to you, I don't know how. I, I, someone put Facebook on my computer, and I just look at it, and I read stuff. But anyway, there is this cartoon. It wasn't even a cartoon. It was actual pictures, but it was, had a saying under, under it that was funny. And there was this um, one guy who was saying, tell me how you think... The whole universe came into existence. And the other guy is quoting from Genesis and talks about how God created everything. And then the other fellow who he's sharing this with says, that is the silliest, most stupid thing I've ever heard. And so the Christian said to the unbeliever, well, how do you think the world came into existence? And he said, where do you think everything came from? And he said, from nothing. What is silly, what is funny is not Creation, because the fact is, we have to understand that God is eternal. A lot of people say, Where did God come from? He always was. How do you explain that? I don't know how to explain it, but I know it's true. God always was, and He always shall be. But the fact that there was nothing, because if you take even an evolutionist and they'll say, well, it's actually caused by Martian deposits. There were uh, people who came from other planets and they uh, left, you know some crumbs here, and, and, and it ended up causing bacteria to grow, and that grew into this and that, and, and all of a sudden it became a whale. You know it's, it's like insane, but they believe this. And so we have to understand, if you reject the truth, you shall believe the lie. And that's why we have to keep our focus on the truth of God. Turn to Galatians 6, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. Galatians 6 and verses 7 and 8. Very telling portion of Scripture. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. I mean, that's quite a warning. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is what Moses was warning the children of Israel about before they even entered into the promised land. If you start sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And corruption came. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to receive everlasting life. That's the promise of God. It's amazing. You see, God still blesses obedience and disciplines disobedience. You know why? Because God is love. A loving parent never disciplines their child out of meanness. I'm saying a loving parent never disciplines their child out of meanness, but because they care for them and they want them to learn those things that will be for their safety and for their encouragement as they get older. So we have to realize that if a parent has to uh, you know, discipline their child, there are also times that the parent has to reward their child. And sometimes parents lose that. Well, we're going to take care of them. You spare the rod, spoil the child, man. We're going to really make sure our children are, are spanked when they do something wrong. But do we take time to build our children up when they do things that are right? To encourage them in the ways of God. And that is so important for us, you know, to tell our children, we should be our children's greatest cheerleader. All right, great job, good job, you did great. And so it's important to understand that the discipline and the reward that we have received from God, we also have to show to our children as well. Now, we have to understand, too, that discipline and unrighteousness is something that we have a choice in actually receiving. If you follow the word of God, you're going to receive reward. If you go against the word of God, you're going to receive discipline. And I love that portion of scripture that says, God disciplines those he what? Those he loves. He disciplines us so we know what's best for us, what's going to be, you know, to our benefit. And um, because we have to understand... That we reap what we sow. Scripture tells us that, and isn't it true? We reap what we sow. You know, if you reap, you know, to to the flesh, you're going to, you know, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to receive everlasting life. And so, we have to make sure that we sow the right things, because when we sow seed, it can either bring up flowers or it can bring up thorns. So we have to make sure that we sow the seeds of righteousness of Almighty God. Because we must realize that without any moral standard, men will justify whatever they desire. Isn't that true? Without any moral compass, men will justify whatever they desire. And that's what we see in our nation today. In fact, I'm going to be talking in a moment. We read this graphic portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy, and you say, how could anyone do that? We do it. And... I'll explain it to you in a bit. But I want you to turn right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 9 through 10. Chapter 6, starting with verse 9. And do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Simple as that. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 520, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. And that's exactly what's happened in the world today. If you shared 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, which we just read, with all of the passion of your heart, with many people in the world, they would accuse you of hate crime and unlove. If we speak against uh, the sins of today, the world is going to condemn us. You see, it's amazing when you think about all these sins that we just read. If we take a stand on God's word, people say, you're so hateful. And yet, those who call us hateful, and, and, and because we stand on the word of God, they call you hateful if you don't agree with them. You know, they think it's awful if you call them hateful if they don't agree with you, but they do just, the, 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 you know what I'm saying? They do just what they accuse us of. If you don't agree with them, you're just such, that's just hate crime, you're just, you're just hateful. It's amazing. Now, there were three captivities that Israel was taken into. And they fell to all the atrocities that we just read in this por- portion of Scripture. And that was um, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, and the Roman siege. And during those times, their city was sieged about, and they fell to hunger, and they fell into all the things that we're reading about here. In fact, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6 2nd kings chapter 6 2nd kings is right after 1st kings 2nd kings chapter 6 now let me set the background before i read this portion 2nd kings chapter 6 starting with verse 28 the king this is the northern kingdom you understand that after solomon the kingdom was divided you had judah and benjamin that were the southern kingdom and all the rest of the 10 tribes were the northern kingdom and the northern kingdom never had a good king. The northern kingdom always rebelled against God. Where the southern kingdom, when they had a good, good king, they followed God. When they had a bad king, they turned from him, and they went back and forth. But the northern kingdom never followed the Lord. That's why hundreds of years before the, the, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity, the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And so the king of the northern kingdom, is walking around the wall of the city, and he sees sees two women arguing. And he said, what are you arguing about? And this is what we pick up when he asks the two women what they are arguing about. And in verse 28, it says, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today, and we shall eat my son tomorrow. So we, we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden him. Well, we, we read something like this. We say, how can be, people be so primitive and so barbaric? Well, I share with you that the people in the United States, we might not worship Moloch, but we worship the God of self and political correctness, which I believe is more destructive than the worship of Moloch. Why? Because it puts on a pretense of righteousness. And let me share with you what I, what I mean Consider the numbers of abortions that take place in this nation every year. It's an atrocity. Many more children are put to death to the god of convenience in this country than were put to death to the god Moloch. Think about this. The use of aborted fetuses in some food products, cosmetics, and even some vaccines should cause us to be repulsed. Because really think about it. How is that any different than what we just read about? Well, we have to understand that we personally have to wake up and stand on all the moral principles of God no matter what criticism we might receive. Because we're in a time that the world is coming to an end as we know it. And so, therefore, we need to be his ambassadors with every chance we get. Now, I believe that this nation and the world itself has, aben- has abandoned all the principles of God. Now, I'm going to read something, and I want you to think about it. Now, we use the word dystopian. If you notice, that's become a new word everyone uses. This is the definition of dystopian denoting an imagined state or society where there is great suffering or injustice. Well, see, you have people that are following some kind of a liberal agenda because, and I don't mean that in any kind of political sense. I'm talking about liberal as far as being contrary to the word of God, as being conservative, following the word of God. And so you have people that are following this liberal agenda and, and, and they don't recognize that this world is absolutely coming to a place of a dystopian society where evil and and hardship are abounding in our nation things are happening that just can't even we can't even imagine so here's the rest man makes things that he wants them to be there's therefore some groups are always considered wrong right One group or the others are always considered wrong. The problem is that when a society moves from godly principles to humanistics, humanistics, the moral standard is reversed. We, with a moral compass, those those of us who trust the Bible, are now considered evil. Right? Proclaiming that a person is either one sex or the other, that fornication and adultery are wrong, And that the nucleus family is the basis of a moral society makes us guilty of hate crimes. It really does. But those who oppose our way of thinking, they can hate us, and they're considered righteous. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Well, fellowship is necessary. Church is necessary. Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together as some have grown into the custom of doing. And all the more as you see that day approaching. It's approaching. We need one another. We need to encourage one another because the world and the world system hates our way of thinking. And yet we are the light of the world. In John 3, 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. And brothers and sisters, I believe that the wrath of God is right at the door. The wrath of God is never out of hatred, but out of discipline. But God is so loving that he hasn't appointed us, believers, to wrath. He has promised that before his wrath falls upon the world, he'll take us out of the world in what is called the rapture. When we meet the Lord in the air, we shall be with him forevermore. But we also have to remember that even during the seven years of tribulation, while we're with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will still be here for souls to be saved. And as I have shared with you many times before, I believe that the greatest revival this world has ever seen will be during the tribulation. There are so many people that become Christians that the Antichrist has to figure out a way of determining who's the believer and who isn't, thus the mark of the beast. And so we are living in that time. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Truth is being suppressed. You cannot speak the truth of God's word without being considered. I mean, think about this. Some of you might have remembered uh, reading the book um, Inherit the Earth. Was Was that the name of it? The Scopes Trials? What is it? Inherit the Wind. wind. Okay. (laughs) But some of you might... I I read it years and years and years ago. Or you can see the movie with Spencer Tracy. But anyway, uh, Inherit the Wind was a true story about this one teacher who wanted to start teaching evolution in the schools as just a a theory of, of something that could possibly be. And he wasn't allowed because at that time they only allowed the creation account of the Bible to be taught in science. And so anyway, he taught it anyway, and this whole trial came about, and there was this one, you know, senator that... Anyway, the point is that it was finally, you know, determined that evolution could be taught as a theory in the schools. Now, it has completely reversed. You cannot teach creation in the schools, even as a theory. You can't teach it. They have unit tests. I know because, you know, I was a teacher and I used to substitute here at ESM. They have unit tests on evolution. I mean, kids have to, they they have to learn evolution. And do you understand that that is a false religion? You're determining where life came from, the value of life, and where life is going. That's religion. And yet, it's the only one allowed to be taught now. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 6 and go to verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. And before I start reading Revelation t- chapter 6 verse 12, I want to share something with you. And uh, that is that so many people believe that the seals are the beginning of the tribulation. They are not. The seals only determine what's inside the scroll. It's what a seal always was for. And if you want to read a book, I think there's one left out there. The book of Revelation made plain and clear. No, but I'm serious. It really really explains all this. So anyway, the fact is, when I read this portion, so many people think, well, what are you saying that the rapture happens partway through the tribulation? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the tribulation hasn't begun until the sixth seal. Anyway, Revelation chapter 6, starting with verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves, in the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, listen, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? If you read Ezekiel 38... You'll find that just before or right at the time of the rapture, you're going to have all these nations come against Israel. And God supernaturally intervenes and destroys them and their capitals. Wipes them out. Well, do you think that's really going to happen? I think it's going to uh, happen very soon. All these nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 are in Syria. Syria. Guess where that is? The northern border of Israel. I was in Israel at one of their forts. I can't remember the name of it. One of their, and, and you overlooked, you stood in the wall and you overlooked the Syrian border, in the direct north of Israel. And so we have to understand that these nations are planning on coming against Israel. Number one, because they hate God and they hate the Israelites because they're the testimony. The, one of the greatest testimonies of prophecy being fulfilled in exact detail. In one day shall a nation be formed? Well, Israel was formed in one day. On May 14, 1948, they signed the declaration that made Israel a nation. That very day they were attacked by all the nations around them. And supernaturally they defeated them. So we have to realize that Yeah, all these nations are going to gather, and they're gathered together right now. Not too long ago, just I can't remember if it was a few weeks ago or or when it was, but anyway, Russia brought in a whole mass of troops into the border of the Middle East. Then they sent them back. Why would they do that? I I can't remember what the number was, but it was like 200,000 or something like that. Why would they do that? Because they're planning an invasion. Just as the Bible says. So, someone gave me this morning, I have a good friend who gives me newspaper articles because um, there's only about three people in the world that read the newspaper anymore, and he's one of them. And, um, but anyway, he gets news that most people don't see. And this one is, Syrian hit on Israel. There was a rocket attack, and they do plan on um, attacking Israel. Now, this one... U.S. braces for World War III. Well, if you don't think we're living in those times, then you need to open your eyes because we are. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, and his wrath is going to fall. Because he is a just God, he has to discipline unrighteousness And and the unrighteousness of this world. All you have to do is look around. Has the world ever been in this state? Not in my lifetime, and when I study history, never. The world as a whole has been in this state of ungodliness and and absolutely rebellion against the Lord and proclaiming immorality as moral and morality as immoral. Good is taken for evil. That's what it tells us in Isaiah, right? Good is taken for evil and evil for good. We're seeing that today. And so we're living in that time where Jesus could come back for, for his church before we leave and that would be great with me. And you know, a lot of people say, well, I just hope the rapture happens before I die. Here's my point I don't care. <laughs> you know why? Because if I die, where am I going to be? With the Lord. And if I'm dead when the rapture occurs, what happens? I rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left and still alive should be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So, what do you have to worry about? Well, I, what, what if I die? You die. Everybody's going to die barring the rapture. And so we have to realize that we're living in a time that darkness has covered the face of the earth. Darkness is coming when no man can work. Darkness is here. And so you and I need to be proclaimers of the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to make the most, as Scripture says, of every opportunity. Rather than shying away, this should be a time that we proclaim the word of God. But I take that even many Christians want to be politically correct. Well, I, I can't really talk about God. Yes, you can. Now, I'm not saying you walk down the street and you grab somebody and you say, you pagan sinner, you're going to hell, wake up and get saved. You know, I'm not talking about that. That's, that's rude and, and it's, it's silly. But the reality is there are so many times that we're around people that we are into some kind of a conversation with that the opening's there. Well, take advantage of that opening. Don't shy away from it. Take advantage of it and talk to them about Jesus Christ and salvation. Because he who has the Son has what? Life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Well, that's so simple. That's right. The gospel is simple. You go to, every one of us are natural born sinners. Did you know that? You know, when a baby is born, what's the first thing they do? They cry. And if you, know, if you knew baby language, what the baby is saying is, me, me. <laughs> Talk about me. But anyway, I'm being silly. But the point I'm making is that we're born sinners. Every one of us are sinners. Probably if we shared some of the things that we've been caught up in, we would shock everyone in the room. But you know what? That's not what matters. That's not what we should be talking about. What we should be talking about is the fact that I once was lost, and now I'm saved. You go to Jesus Christ with all your baggage of sin and all the transgressions you've made made against God and even humanity maybe others that you love, you go to him and you say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. And he will. Lord, take over my life. Come into my heart. And you be the one who guides me from now on. And he will. The best decision I ever made in my life was when I was 30 years old. And that's when I got saved. And the second best decision I ever made is when I asked Phi to marry me. I better say that, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. The best decision I ever made was asking Christ to come in and take over my heart and my life. Because He did. And he changed my life. You know, I know it's hard for some of you when you look at me now and, you know, and, and uh, I've been a believer for, I always have to ask why. How long we've we been saved? 45 years. 45 years. I was a drunk. I was a, um, a drunk that was able to function, what they call a functional drunk. I was a school teacher and I did a good job. But when I came home on Friday night, I was drunk until I went back to school Monday. Yeah. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day and had other vices that, you know, everyone has that's a a sinner. And then I came to Jesus Christ and I said, God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. And he did. I don't smoke, I don't drink. I don't chew tobacco or go out with girls that do. But anyway, that, that's an old joke thing. I actually messed it up because it's supposed to rhyme. But anyway, um, the, point I, the point I'm getting at is I'm a changed person. And I'm so thankful for that. And I've been a changed person for 45 years. And all these vices that held me captive, that had my throat, are gone. Hallelujah, praise God. And that can't even compare with the greatest joy of my salvation, fellowship with the Lord. Right now, my fellowship with the Lord is in part. But one day, when I'm with him, it'll be full, as will be fully known, Scripture says. How amazing is that? And so we have to understand, I'm going to read from Matthew five fourteen through 16 first, You, talking about believers, are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're saved, you can't hide it. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we should be doing now while we're waiting for the rapture. This world is literally going to hell. The wrath of God is going to come upon it. Then in the Gospel of John, chapter 9 and verse 4, it says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. You see, we truly are the voice of one crying in the wilderness. In the Gospel of John, when they were asking John the Baptist, you know, if he was the Messiah, he said, no, I'm not. And they said, who are you? They asked him, who are you then? And here's what he said. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And he was making straight the way of the Lord's first coming. Well, you and I better be making straight the way of the Lord for a second coming by proclaiming the good news every opportunity we have. The Bible is 100% true. If all the prophecies of the Bible have been fulfilled in exact detail, I mean, you need to get a book that talks about fulfilled prophecies. I mean, the prophecies are, it's unbelievable the number of prophecies that, are, that have been fulfilled in exact detail, and a number of them in our time. You know what happened in 1967? Israel took Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's, that's a fulfillment of prophecy that in some of us, you know, I was a, a, a senior in high school when that happened. So we are prophecies fulfilled in our lifetime. And so there's no reason that we should deny or even doubt that all the rest of God's prophecies are going to come true. And so here's the point. You and I are getting ready for a trip that we don't have to pack for. As a matter of fact, We won't even take the clothes that we wear because we're going to receive glorified bodies and covered in robes of righteousness. Because that portion I just read in Revelation about the the sixth seal, the fifth seal just before that is when the saints under the altar are given white robes. The rapture is ready to take place. And we shall be clothed in robes of righteousness, Scripture tells us. So we won't even take this... All this, we leave it behind. I'm going to leave all my clothes behind and about 40 pounds. (laughs) Because when we're with the Lord, everything's going to be perfect. So we have to understand the times in which we're living and have a willingness to be honest with people that we have an opportunity to come in contact with and to share with them, this world's passing away. The sin of this world is just amazing I honestly don't even understand how we can go much longer and when we see these nations gathered against Israel as mentioned in Ezekiel 38 on the north you know it's right at the door you know it's right at the door well no one knows well the Bible says but you believers are not in darkness that this day should overcome you like a thief in the night you're children of the light children of the day we're supposed to be aware of the time in which we're living. We're living in the time. We're living in the time. Jesus could come back any moment. So I ask you this, if there are any here who do not know Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Savior, today is the day of your salvation because you do not want to be left behind because this world is going to face tribulation as never known before. And so for you and I, let our light shine in this darkness. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you so much for your word and for your truth and for your love. And I ask, Father, that what we have covered today would really just take root in our heart in such a way that we'd be your witness everywhere we go. We would be a light in this dark world. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that through the ministry of our life, we might see many people commit their lives to you and be born again of the Spirit. And I pray and ask this in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends. Thank you for being here.